Hey everyone, this is Fernando Mastrangelo from the Fernando Mastrangelo Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Paul Jeffrey. He is the owner of Paul Rene Furniture out of Arizona. He's also the contestant on Ellen's Next Great Designer who was eliminated in episode two, but has an amazing story and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So let's jump on in. Part of the idea of doing these podcasts with everyone on the show is just to like, you know, talk about the show a little bit, talk about your experience of getting on the show. Also, give people a little bit of background on you because I think you have a really cool story. So I'd love to kind of hear how you got to be a designer, that path, and then how you ended up on The Ellen Show and, and, and your experience of that. Because I also, I read about you before going on the show, so I knew a little bit. And I think you have a cool story, you know? So, and I think people should know that. And I think then it also helps us, you know, frame your work. You know, I'm from uh, Detroit and I grew up in an extremely fundamentalist, you know, household. That's, you know, my mom was a devout Catholic. And, and so, you know, somewhere around 17 or 18, I ran away to the army. Anyway, when I came back, my dad, who was also gifted artistically, was attending um, a school in Detroit called College of Art and Design. It is known for its automotive design program. It's one of the top three or four automotive design schools in the country. So he took me down to the school and I'm probably like 20 years old. And I was just so fascinated with the sketches that I saw. And I was like, hey, this is this is what I want to do. I think I want to become a car designer. So I went to this grueling program. They only graduate like five or six students a year. So I end up making it uh, through the program and then Ford Motor Company hired me as a concept car designer. So, you know, 24, 25 in Detroit, that's a big deal. In a car town, that's a big deal, right? <laughs> I paid well and I had a lot of status. And so I did that for, you know, three or four years and just wasn't feeling it too corporate. You know, I'm an artist, so I can be a little prickly at times, a little emotional at times. I'll tell you what I think at times. And and in the corporate environment, that just wasn't going to work for me. So I could see that I had to find something else, right? Mm -hmm. So about the same time, I was getting tired of the cold weather in Detroit. And I said, you know what, we're going to, I just got married. Let's let's go out to L.A., right? Let's go out to L.A. And, you know, I went out to L.A. a bit arrogant. Again, I was one of 1,000 car designers globally. And in the car business, we're celebrated. And so I, I went out there thinking that I was new, right? I was God's gift and no one ever seen anybody like. So I go to L.A. And boy, did they see me getting off the boat, man. I mean, I was so green and so stupid. So we had saved a little bit of money. So I was only there for about 60 days and, and lost almost $100,000 in savings. Yeah, all, all of our money half belonged to my ex-wife at the time. So immediately, and she was a lawyer. So immediately we went from, you know, really a high middle-class income to being, to being broke overnight. And, and so I spent the next seven years, man, just reeling, going lower and lower and lower and lower and lower mentally to I really hit rock bottom state, like a broken state, right? So you had this opportunity to kind of say, well, you know, maybe I'll just go back to what I was doing, make good money. You were like, no. No, no. And I was offered. I was offered. People asked me to come back, come back. You know, you get your, you know, your old job back. But I knew in my heart it wasn't for me. And I, I'm not, I couldn't sell out for the money, right? I left for despite the money. It just, it just wasn't for me, right? So I go out to LA and flop. And even though I had no reference for that kind of struggle, I knew that Detroit was not 
an, an option. So after wallowing in misery for six or seven years, it sort of crawled back to Phoenix and I had to go to my father-in-law at the time and confess all of my sins that, hey, I've dragged your daughter into the gutter and, you know, can you please throw us a lifeline? And he did, he did. So, you know, he put us in some shelter, but he nor my ex-wife at the time were interested in hearing anything about what my vision was. Right. I tried that. I failed. No, no, no. You need to get a safe job. And I had a son. So and, and so when I got to, you know, Phoenix, then I was hired by Walgreens. Right. So this is interesting. Top of the design world in a lot of ways. And in terms of the automotive world, you move to L.A. It's not a good experience. <laughs> you go broke. You guys end up in Phoenix. Get a hand from your father-in-law to kind of get you back on your feet. And you still resist and you go to Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in Phoenix, there is no opportunities for industrial design. That's my degree. I have a degree in industrial right. design. Right. But meanwhile, what are you waiting to do that you're like saving up this energy or this, you know, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, well, I was searching for freedom. I was searching for freedom of expression. I, I had thoughts and, and, and ideas and I wanted to express them unencumbered you know, through somebody's management system. You know, when you're working for Ford Motor Company or any corporation as a designer, you're not able to express your thought. Someone is telling you what the next product is and they're handing you all this marketing data. This customer likes these shapes and these kind of colors and you have to design, you know, within a box. And, and then there's all the corporate politics. Whose turn is it to be picked through that car? All of that stuff. After I did that for a couple of years, I was like, this is, this is not me. There's so much more in me that I want to express. And even though I spent, you know, quite a few years suffering, that desire to express my thoughts and my ideas and to make my imprint, right? on the world that never died, that never died. And so, you know, I had five or six years working retail in LA. I was the best display artist you can imagine, right? In caps of Tylenol. I made that thing look like art, toilet paper. I stacked that toilet paper up, man, look like sculpture, right? <laughs> I did. My Christmas displays were just like art. <laughs> and I would draw sketches on how we're going to, you know, this is, this is a drugstore, man. But it, it, you know, it gave me some, some, some little bit of opportunity to express that creativity. Anyway, they found me interesting and, and uh, they, they promoted me and I got to Phoenix and Walgreens hired me. Before you know it, I was, I was on the cover of Walgreens Today, man, their corporate... <laughs> I was on the cover of that corporate magazine, man. I was like a superstar. <laughs> so, you know, after a couple of years in Phoenix, right? So this is like 2003. So I'm, I'm just pushing up on 30. So after a couple of years at Walgreens and stabilizing my domestic situation, that reason for leaving forward begun to surface back up in my consciousness the hunger to express myself creatively. But the question was, I'm in Phoenix. How can an industrial designer, ex-car designer, apply that in a market that is basically retail-driven services, service-oriented market, right? So what was driving the economy back in 04 was housing. So I knew if I were going to um, express this this gift, it had to somehow be within the context of the housing market. Smart, so smart. I said, All right. Was that just something that you were picking up on or were you following this? Were you interested in real estate or? No, no. I mean, there was housing, which is a boom. It was a boom. Um, it still is. 
with regards to new home construction, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here. So um, it wasn't something that I've, I've never had a desire necessarily to do do furniture specifically, nor that I really have a desire to do car design, to be honest with you. That starts to make, so th th now I just think about your drawings in that blue ink, and I'm just like, now that you told me about the car thing, I'm like, oh my God, no wonder you have such a facility with that kind of drawing, and, and now, and you've brought it into your design practice as well. Anyway, that, that's cool. I'm making the connections now too. Yes. <laughs> so literally one day, a Saturday, without my ex-wife knowing, I said, you know what? I'm just going to go to the industrial side of Phoenix, right? So I didn't have no clue, but I was in the suburbs. So I knew I wasn't going to find that industrial area in the suburbs. So I just got on the freeway and said, let me just drive to the hood, right? So the first exit that I got off on was 7th Avenue. And I, I made a left. And the first building, the guy was a woodworker. So I, I got out of my car and I, I walked in and it was a bunch of Mexicans and who spoke Spanish and I didn't speak Spanish. So I, I go up there and I, I'm like, hey, I'm Paul. And they're looking at me because they can't understand me. And one of the guys, uh, the owner's son, who was raised in the States, he was young, like 14 or 15. And, and he came and he interpreted. And I said, hey, I, I'm a designer. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, trying to sell uh, my design work and maybe I'll go and find some construction companies who are interested in furniture and, and would you make my stuff, right? He's like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's go turn down, you know, something. So I had a source. I had a, I had a jumping off point with regards to production. So the next thing that I did was bought some design magazines and started flipping through the design magazines. And I saw one of the top trade organizations, American Society of Interior Designers, and I joined them and I started, you know, going to the meetings and very shy and I couldn't speak the language. No one really paid me any attention. And anyway, I did meet a couple of um, the top interior design firms throughout this process. And one day I just knocked on the door and, hey, can I get a presentation? And, and you know, I can guarantee you some good pricing. And so I got a couple of meetings with the oldest, most prestigious, maybe even the most successful interior design firm. So I walk in really with some very crude photographs of the work the guys did and gave them a presentation. At this point, had you already made anything in three dimensions or are you just in drawings? Just drawing. In fact, I didn't have any drawings. I just had photographs. I had photographs of the guys that I met Got it. at the shop. I had photographs. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're capable of. <laughs> this is what we're capable of. And, uh, like old Polaroids. And I mean, that's all I had, right? I was broke. This was my next question. Were you, had you stabilized financially to the point where you could invest in yourself or in the studio? No. I only had enough money coming in from Walgreens to pay rent and, and car note. And, uh, and even that was tough. My car was repossessed a couple of different times. The phone. Was, Are you still oh, married at this point? Oh, no, no. She got tired of me after a show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was rough. You know, it was, we had, you know, a child and my, and she, we wanted her to stay at home to raise my son and, and on a drugstore income, you, you know, we're just talking about the basics. Whoo, wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so I go to this firm with these pictures, man. And hey, we can do it for cheap, less, right? We can do it for less. That was my selling point. You know, who doesn't want more margin? <laughs> like, hey, let's give okay. this guy a shot, right? 
So they gave me a set of doors and I'm feeling good about myself, right? So we're going to make these doors and I didn't know anything about craftsmanship and quality and joinery and wood and stain. I didn't know anything about any of that. So we made the doors and we delivered the doors. How'd they turn out? I mean, they, you know, B plus, right? But this is a high end door. They were B plus and the contractor gave me a hard time to take them back and fix them and square them up. And Square? They got to be square. <laughs> square is the most important one. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about, you know, checking all that. Plus, I'm sure you didn't have an LLC set up. I'm sure you didn't know how to invoice. You didn't have QuickBooks. You didn't have anything. I mean, I listen, I went on Microsoft Word. I made up a little invoice. I made it look very professional. I mean, I sold myself as far bigger than my condition, right? So this was for high-end construction, custom home. We didn't have a truck. And we're loading this thing on the back of one of the guys' Toyota. The truck was gray. One door is red. It's got three different tires, a couple good years, and a Michelin. And we're pulling up in this gated community. And that's how we got started, man. Very humble. And we fixed the job. And so, you know, they gave us a couple pieces of furniture, right? One of them was a chair. Total, total failure. Anyway, so it became clear to me after this job, I blew it with the biggest company in the city, the most prestigious who knew the most people who could just go to a meeting and say, don't do business with I completely blew it, right? So I realized at that point I was going to have to learn, you know, woodworking. So I spent the next seven years, man, really in a garage, in an old U-Haul, like storage place. We convinced the owner, 14 by 14, had one way in, no windows, no ventilation, no power. Hey, can we use this? He agreed. We went to the pawn shop and bought some really rickety tools. We started scrounging through dumpsters and whatever. We did that for like really six or seven years. And in between, I was able to sell something here or there to people just with my charm. This is all while still kind of working at Walgreens to make an income? I still at Walgreens. That was supporting you at, while in a U-Haul 14 by 14 storage garage <laughs> that turned into a makeshift studio with no power, no nothing. There was some community power outside that you go, we'd plug in this long extension cord. And... That's what I was going to ask you. If you ran an extension cord, what the hell? Yeah, I thought you were yeah. going to get a generator or something too. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, when I say rough, it was, but I was, again, I had this, what fueled me. Yeah. When my father-in-law finally found out, my ex found they they were so furious, but I, I couldn't turn back. I had to recover and I had this desire. What kept me going was the original intent. I wanted freedom. I wanted to express there was something in me wanting to come out. I think what's what's coming up for me is like your willingness to suffer for your ultimate passion, but it but it at this point, you're in your mid-30s. I, you know, I'm, I'm 42. I, I, I went through the mid-30s crisis thing where I was like, holy crap, this has to work or else. But it's, it gets tough by that age to be going through that struggle because you're like, when am I going to just have the basic needs met? So yeah. you must be getting to a point where you're, yes, you're still passionate about what you want, but like there's got to be some reality hitting where you're like, damn, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, man. 
So I, I had a little Honda. Let me tell you a funny story. I had a little Honda, a little Honda Civic, and and that was that was you know I would go to lumber yards, man, and lay down in the back seat and shove wood in the trunk, and it's hitting the glass. One time I shoved the wood in so hard it cracked the windshield, right? And and I mean that was my mode of transportation. So one day I'm four or five months behind on my car note, right? So. One day we we got lucky enough, and, and this was I don't know somewhere around uh, 2007 or so. You know, we, we we were developing some skills where I was getting furniture repair jobs. Like, can you fix this cabinet? Paul, can you make a door for this? Can you come? And we were getting handyman, you know, kind of job. So one day the tow truck finally caught up with my car. Right. So I'm at the house and I'm just before I'm going to bed and I see this tow truck outside the window and I said, Oh my God, this guy is coming. I just got some shorts on, it's Phoenix, no flip-flops. I had to run outside, like no shirt on, just got shorts on. And I run outside. That morning, I made a payment. I run outside and I, I said, hey, man, I, I, I made uh, a payment this morning. I cut it from four to two months. People told me if I just pay two months, you know, my car is going to be safe. But the tow truck people make their money by towing cars. And the guy was like, I, I, I said, man, my orders are to tow this car, right? So I looked at this guy. This is a true story. I'm not lying. I looked at this guy. I said, hey, man, if you're not willing to call the finance company to verify I paid, let me tell you what I'm willing to do right now. If you attempt to take this car, this is how I make my money. So one of us is going to be laying on the ground in just a few minutes. If you pick that chain up and attempt to take, that guy was like, he started shaking. I mean, I was speaking to this guy like, you and I are getting ready to rumble, bro. If you know what I saw, you're not going to take my motor trip. This is happening. At this point, you're like, this cannot happen, obviously. It can't happen. Because this right. is like, kind of a weird moment. Because if you lose your car, you're you're like, okay, I'm already in the pits. Like, if I lose my damn car, this is over. And you're no shirt, in some shorts, nighttime. Nighttime, it's about midnight. This okay. guy has boots on, he's got crowbars. <laughs> he beat the crap out of me. He had everything. I had nothing. I didn't have okay. shit on, dude. I was barefoot. You didn't even care, though. You were like, I will do what I have to do to <laughs> save my vehicle. He was so shook by that. He picked up the phone, called his boss, who called the finance company, and verified, leave this guy's car. He did pay the bill. So anyway, so let's fast forward a little bit. So this was somewhere around 2009, the crash. Yeah, we got we got to get to the part where where you started like getting your life back here. Goddamn, I'm in a... Here's one of the big things. So in the crash of 08 and 09, the bigger players in this business, we had a lot of overhead, many trucks, many employees, a lot of payroll. They began to shut up, right? It's very little work. At the same time, we put up online a little raggedy uh, website. So when the crash came, we started getting calls. It wasn't furniture designed per se, but it was enough to keep some flow coming in, a couple hundred dollars every week kind of coming in. It was it was pretty consistent, right? So we would take those nickels and dimes, pour it back into the business. At the same time, I had to go and get a job, right? Yeah, I was going to ask you about Walgreens at this point. What's yeah, up? Walgreens fired me in like 08, 09 because they wanted to promote me. And I, I couldn't accept that. Dude, you are one stubborn man. And really, that was the time when I was kicked out the house. So anyway, they, they they fired me, but a couple of things were starting to happen. I was beginning to feel good. The phone was ringing, right? I was beginning to think to my, oh, oh my God, this can happen, right? So I got a, a job with California Classics. 
Now, it was outside sales, so they would just call and give you a lead. I would go, and so that was perfect, right? Because I could still do my hustle. Right? I didn't have to go to this nine to five. They give you leads. So still broke as hell, right? So one day, one of the leads they sent me on was the daughter-in-law of a large food chain here in Phoenix, and she wanted a closet done, right? So I did a blue sketch for her, right? When she looked at my sketch, she said, like a, a mother's son, what is your background? So when I told her my background, she said, you need to run towards it, man. Your closets are beneath you. So she gave me one lady that boost, that validation, despite divorce, poverty, phone, despite, she gave me. That went a long way. Wow. So I ended up running the job through California closets. There was a little bit of margin there. And so at a certain point around 2012, I had gotten pretty confident that I knew something about carpentry. We had made enough pieces and had to remake those pieces, which forced me to go learn a little bit about wood, forced me to turn on a few more tools. So around 2012, we put together a real brochure that I bought an inkjet printer, I put together a brochure, I did a few sketches. We had made a few prototypes of a few things. And when I'm going to my California classes customer, you know, from time to time, there'd be jobs that California classes couldn't service because the customer wanted solid wood. So there is really is how the business got started. Those clients, the California classes could not service because they had a system and they only worked with laminates and particle boards, right? So for three or four years, I was picking off the California closets could not do. And they were getting better and better and better. And each one allowed us the opportunity to improve our skills. Were these guys literally just sending you the orders or had you formed a partnership or, or how was this work? They no, 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 no. California closets didn't know that I was... That you I were mean, picking them off. No, that well, yeah, and technically, well, yeah, I was, I wasn't picking them off. No, they it were was, coming to you because you did it in hardwood. So when I would go to the client, you know, this is what I want, and I pull out my sample kit of particle board. They're like, no, I don't want that. Do you have wood? And I wasn't trying to pick California closets. So I was still trying to sell right their product. But then at a certain point, you know, I would say okay, and then I would leave. But then I would call them the next day. Hey, Bob. I have a little side hustle. You know, I can come back. We can address that if you want to come down to the shop. And, you know, and that's kind of how we got started. So 2012 came. We started getting some traction, started getting a few more jobs. My old crew, I couldn't, I could not work with them any longer. They only wanted to make cabinets, right? Well, one day I'm on a job site, very big job that I got, $50,000 closet deal. They want a solid wood. California closets couldn't touch it. For me, it was like 10 grand. California closets couldn't touch that. So... I asked the customer, hey, would you give me a chance, right? I could do it for you in solid wood. He said, you can do it. I, I made 15K from that job. That was like, I caught up on bills, you know, but that, that was huge. That was but huge, yeah. My old guys couldn't do the job. It, it involved some carving. Anyway, I had one of the guys on a previous job whose name is Renee. He and I had a relationship from going through installs, I could tell this guy was hungry. I could tell he was focused. When I got this job, I called him. I said, Renee, I got a job for us. Are you willing? He was like, yeah, I'm willing. So that's how we started down the road of high end. It was through a wood closet. And he was just as hungry and life full of just as many trials. It was a match made in heaven. 
He wanted to learn woodworking, which allowed me to sell and design. And I knew something about woodworking so I could guide him. I knew something about industrial design and something about structure. So Paul and Renee became a hit somewhere around 2012. Right. And so the website begins to get a little traction. We were early adopters in the customization mm-hmm. trend. Um, at, we benefited from that in 2012. That was just beginning to roll out. So we benefited from having a, a web presence. Also at the same time, huge for us. As we began to get a web presence, the market began to turn towards mm-hmm. modern. So my background is in conceptual design. So as the market is turning toward modern, right, that's where we excel. I can go to a client with those blue sketches with something outside of the transitional, traditional styling that was dominating Phoenix. And instantly we set ourselves apart with a blue sketch, with modern design, custom made. Right around 25, that combination opened the door for us. More and more jobs came in, which customers gave us more and more design, which gave us the opportunity to fail, to bend wood, really manipulate these materials. So from 2012, we found our stride. And here's where we got a big break. In 2017, I'm at home. I wasn't in my friend's basement. I, I, I could afford a little apartment, things that stabilized. Right? And I get a call from Phoenix Home and Garden Magazine, which is a, it's a big player in the home and design magazine. And... Uh, it was a call that came in on a Saturday. I didn't pick up the phone. That night, I said, let me check my messages. And it was like, hey, Paul, my name is so-and-so. I'm the editor of Phoenix Home and Garden Magazine. We have been following your career for the last three or four years. We would like to do a feature story on you, right? So I didn't know what that meant, right? So I, I called the lady back. and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm all in. So we had just moved to a new facility. So we we went from a thousand square feet to five thousand square feet. She comes to my office one day with two photographers and and, and uh, so she's asking me these questions. I didn't know why the photographers were really there. And at some point during the interview, I said, So you you got these guys who are taking pictures and you've been here an hour asking me questions just for a little blurb what in the back page. So she said, No, 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 no. We're gonna put you centerfold. We're gonna put you centerfold. <laughs> 10 pages. Wait, they had never in the history of the magazine, it's 80 years old, put a designer, they put projects on the centerfold. They had never done that. Bro. So this was 2017. I left Ford in 1995. <laughs> oh my God. 22 years later, it we began to take off. That is crazy. So really your company starts in 2017 in a lot of ways. 5,000 square foot space means that you have team, means that you start having payrolls, you start having real, you know, it's a real, it starts to turn into a real company. It starts to turn into a real company. Which then has a whole nother set of uh, problems. problems. <laughs> At this point, you're so well versed in your own design practice and what you uh, want to do. And th- that, you know, so you can maybe help, you can focus a little bit on the business and on design as well, and almost ready for that kind of press at this point. Yes, that's a very good point. We had texture. I had a knowledge base. I could talk about, you know, in a design in such a way that you would have to listen. I had a, I had a point of view and we had a style, like it or love it, right? We, we had a point of view that there was a niche out there who agreed with us. And we didn't know that niche was out there into that, to that Mac, to that article. Okay. 
But we were at that point, we weren't really business people, to be honest. With right, you. right. Of course not. Man, when you got 10 or 12 people and they're cutting on someone else's wood and, and I'm not watching them and Renee's not watching them and you go back and you, you've cut this wood, this 30 bucks a square feet, the wrong and Then it was like, oh my God, a whole new set of headaches interfered with, you know, our production. And, and not only that, but the phone was ringing so much, we were still in hustle mode. So not only were we getting some cream job, but we were still doing repair work and mm-hmm. you know, we were kind of still in that mode. And now I got 10 guys, can I say no to this work? Look, when you're an artist for a long time, you, you don't really know when your next sale is ever gonna happen. And no matter how successful you are, I still, there's a part of you that will always feel like this may be the last table you ever sell. That's right. Last year, we, it's on the website. We decided we, we can't work with everybody. We, we know what our sweet spot is. And you know, as an artist, right, there's pain in being creative, right? I mean, you, you have an idea, but some of the ideas, they don't come out right. And it's like, I can't deliver this. You know what I'm saying? It's not, I'm not feeling it. So therefore I can't, so I got to go back, right? There's, there's, there's some degree of pain in, involved in this. So the last three years have been about that. So anyway, last year it was like, okay, we have a good feel of who we are, which means we have a good feel for who we are not. So if we are to make money now, be profitable, control this beast so we're not taking eight trips back to the house to install things, let's decide who, what, what kind of work we're going to do. And, and so we did that about a year and a half ago. And, and so we get a lot of calls, probably like you and this, uh, you know, and I don't care what the money is, right? I, I have to be able to get something out of it. I have to be able to be true to me and I can't get outside of, of what I do. It is tough at one point to let that go and say, all right, I am this person now and I am going to, you know, I'm going to say no to certain things because it doesn't honor my creativity or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And I have to say this to you. This is what helped us. So also within the last two years, we've been blessed to jump the borders, not only region out of Phoenix, we do work nasty now, but uh, we got a couple, you know, I got a client in Canada now and I had just before COVID the opportunity to spec out an entire hotel in Ghana. Um, so we've gotten some nibbles from around the world now. And, and, and so that helped us to have the faith. It helped us to know, okay, we're, we're there now. If people are calling you out of the country, right? I had a Canadian guy call me. If people are calling you out of the country, that means you're, at least that's, that was our thinking. We, we, we don't have to think hustle anymore. We, we've become established and that word has got around. What a good feeling. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I, yes, unless, yeah. unless your parents are rich, I don't know if you come from a rich family and they find it. No, I don't, unfortunately. Uh, I learned that a lot of people in the art and design world do come from a wealthy family. I didn't know that. I was naive. I, I just thought I, ha- I just had blind ambition to be an artist and, and I, I, I drove that. But I'm glad that I had to struggle to get where I'm at. It's made me who I am. I was broke. Uh, worse, maybe worse than you in a lot of ways. Uh, by the time I was 32, I hit rock bottom and I had to go live with my parents for two months. Thank goodness only, but, but I, but yeah. So finan- you know, financial ups and downs are part of our industry, you know, when you don't come from a wealthy family. I mean, it's fine, you know? You do not know the fullness of your power until you, until you struggle. I 100% agree with that. And I know that, you know, people do say that, right? But if you and I kind of understand it in a, in a way that doesn't, it's not just, you know, words on a paper or someone just saying it, like I honor the struggle that other people go through and I can see and I can empathize with that. And it gives me a different, uh, 
view of who they are as an artist and designer uh, and know, sometimes knowing if people came from, you know, easier background financially, it leaves a strange feeling with you a little bit. I, 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 and I can tell you, I saw some of your Instagram videos when you talked about and you, you know, ran up and down the coast selling yourself to designers. And, and that, that sort of really, you know, resonated to me. It was like, yeah, you know, this was my path too, but you're right. It's, I hope this doesn't come across arrogant, but I am so secure in who I am now. L little shakes me. I'm, I'm not shaken very easily. You, you know, I don't care what is going on around me. And the value of that is we get bolder and bolder and bolder in our expression. I have no fear anymore of taking on complicated, winding, twisting, curving, having to install some that's 30 feet in the with, with there's no fear i know exactly what you mean and i think it comes from you go through the struggle period you get there but the struggle period creates self-awareness in you you when you struggle that bad you you understand a lot more about yourself because you really have to look at yourself all the time and ask yourself these questions. And so once you reach a level of self-awareness, that starts to eliminate fear. Like early on, I was like, shit, man, can we pull this off? Can I do this? This is a lot of money. What if I fuck up? Am I gonna get a suit? You know what I mean? All these things go through your brain. But as you mature and you realize that catastrophe after catastrophe that you've experienced, you'll, you've survived. And not only that, you've, you've come out okay. That's right. I think it takes us men a little bit longer to reach this level of self-awareness where you're not, uh, you know, just bumbling around like a ding dong trying to figure out your life. <laughs> and, and then once we reach it, you do reach a certain level of peace. I feel like this has happened to me maybe in the last two to three years. Mostly I'm, I'm 42, so I'm just going through it now. But it feels so much better at this side. I feel more confident. I feel less fear. You have an amazing story. That's I love it. It's inspiring. I feel so inspired right now. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Ellen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got a call, I don't know, it's early in 2020, I suppose, January, January, February. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, this is a funny story. So I get this call and like you, you know, my schedule is super packed. And, and, and so I, oftentimes I have to send people to voicemail. I really don't answer the phone a lot. Right. So this particular day, for some reason, it was, a, I recognized it as a California number. Like, oh, maybe it's a client. <laughs> well, yeah, I picked up the phone, right? I said California. So I said, let me just pick up the phone. And so it starts off something like this. Hey, my name is uh, Joanne Johnson, and I am an uh, editor for uh, Ellen DeGeneres' Next Great Designer, right? And I said, I stopped it right there flat. I said, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, my friend, if you're calling to sell me something, I'm not <laughs> buying it. So, <laughs> so, you know, thank you and have it. No, 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 this is real. So I, I started listening. And, and so... Um, Again, no one of those validating, you know, moments. So I went through the entire process of being vetted and background checks, all of that. And then I don't know, four or five months later, we got the call and said, "Hey, you're you're on." I think this must have been. I knew in January 2020 we were. And then two months later, you know, COVID hit, and then we get the call suspended, suspended indefinitely. Right. So it, it, it went to the back of my mind. Right. I'm going on with my, you know, my career. And then shockingly in August of, of last year, there was like, hey, this thing is back on and uh, we're filming in eight weeks and are you in? And I'm like, yeah, you know, we're, we're you know, we're in. And how did you feel? Uh, I, I felt excited. I felt like I paid my dues. And again, you know, about that self-awareness thing, I'm, I'm careful about pumping up my own head. That's how I, I went bankrupt. So I'm looking, I need still today, I need signs to 
tell me where I'm at and if I'm off course and should I go in this direction and at what speed, right? And and so that was one of those things that again confirmed that you have a place in this space. Um, you have a point of view that is important and this is your moment. And so all of that is, we all need that. It, it is difficult to climb the mountain constantly with just a vision, right? But the distance between taking it out of your head to manifesting, there's a lot of unknown and we haven't quite reached to where we're going. So when she called, it was like, okay, keep going, Paul, keep going, Paul. That was the way I took that. But I didn't know what to expect, you know, even last night watching the show, I don't, I don't know what to expect. But anyway, so, hey, we're going to send the crew to your uh, shop. And I'm like, oh, well, that's better. I'm in my space, yeah. you know, I'm around my right back, that kind of thing. That was such a weird bonus that we maybe would have not gotten to have if the pandemic wasn't an issue. But I think that being able to be in your own space with your crew, with your people, like it's nice to be able to work that, uh, the projects that way. Absolutely. Now reflecting, because now you've had more time to think about it. Now you've seen it out there. And what is your take from the two episodes that you watched last night? And how did you feel about the pieces? You know, if you don't understand what 40 hours really means, from design to completion, it's it's difficult to evaluate as a viewer and, and put that in context. Everybody I speak to about this, I'm like, keep in mind people, four or five days. Okay, meanwhile, you're still filming an entire show. Like, let's be real. Like, yes. this is not a show about final work being presented as your masterpieces. This is a competition where you have parameters and you're trying to exercise your design strengths and, and fabrication skills in a very strict time frame. You cannot be who you are fully yes. under these circumstances. And that's not really the point of the show, which I think is sometimes harder for for artists to deal with, with your ego a little bit. You're like, man, I really want to be who I am, but I have to deal with these parameters. And and that's, when we say 40 hours, I mean, 15, 20 of those hours is there's some show making that has to get done. So it's really, it's not 40 hours on the table. See, that's crazy. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people realize that, but this is pretty strict. They keep you guys to your timelines. Yes. So when you get the assignment, part of the equation is what, realistically can I get done that expresses who I am, what's realistic. So that that drives certain decisions. If I had eight weeks, like I had eight to 10 weeks, you know, I got time to play with some things and prototype a few things and take some risks. But if you only got, you know, 40 hours, you, you, you have to commit, you have to make a decision. You got to put all your chips on the table. This is what we're going to do. And so the outcome is really based on a decision you make hour one, hour two, hour three. There is no going back. What you, once you've blown 10 hours, you're, you're in trouble. And the first one was very interesting because it was a surprise. And so four inch thick slabs that weighed more than me and, and we're not set up. That's not, that's not, that's not our gig, right? <laughs> and then you got these rocks and, oh my God, I've never cut a rock. And then you got this budget that you're kind of working with. And, and so it's the challenge of all challenges. And, you know, because of my background in the military, I am, I can be very disciplined and very Sergeant Carter, which the guys hate. I don't like to dictate to my craftsmen. I want to give them some space to be able to put some craft in and, and you know, show me some, some sweet details where I hadn't thought of this all based on craft. Well, you got 40 hours. I'm, no, this is what we're doing. So I'm sorry. I don't mean to, this is what we're doing. So given those parameters, I feel like I did the very best that I could. 
I was all in and quality was important. My name was important. So I wanted to deliver a certain quality. But at the end of the day, when 40, when that clock stops, boy, I sure would like to have got one more screw or mm-hmm. I, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, sure like to put a clamp on that thing and, <laughs> you, you know, got another level on that thing. But, you know, we all were so we're even in that regard. All the contestants were even mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in, you know, in that regard. And, and and all of the contestants were great. I respect them all. But anyone that is fortunate, you know, right? This whole starving artist, any artist designer who was fortunate enough to live from their art, I bow because I know for every one of us that makes it and gets to live from our art, there, there must be a half a million. Yeah, no, the percentage is something like 1% of artists survive off of their work. I feel like this show, of course, it's nice to win. The the arriving there is kind of, it shows that you've accomplished something already. People weren't picked nilly-willy. And, you know, AD just said yesterday, Architectural Digest said, you know, there's no amateurs here. This is a competition of like serious designers going up against each other, you know? And when I saw the roster, that's how I felt. I was like, damn, this is like people who have companies, careers, you know, uh, press. Like, this is not like you know, amateur style. No, this is real deal. And that's such an incredible thing. And so just being on the show makes you feel like, yeah, like, look, uh, we're here. I'm one of the top people in the country. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a great feeling. It is a great feeling. And anytime you're on global platform, your establishment becomes exponentially greater. Yeah, yeah. But I was established before I went to the show. So the show wasn't making right. Paul for me. Right. Right. So going home, wasn't a it was a disappointment to some degree right right but you know i got a stack of work right now yeah we're gonna pay me to do you, you know what i'm saying so i was no, i got you my ego wasn't bruised by good good you know by that and and i i think that uh just being on the show is you know me going out on that doesn't hurt my it's, it's still an enhancement did you feel the judging? I know I was part of it, but did you feel it was fair? Did you feel, what, what was your take on, on that aspect of things when you you know were there to present your work and what were you going through? Listen, you know this as well as I do about art, right? So art is subjective. It's three quarters of the world is not gonna be feeling my art. I'm, I'm cool with that, right? All artists by nature will, it will, will have a niche. They will have a slice of the 7 billion people. Maybe you might have 5,000 who are down with you, filling you, right? I mean, I knew that going in, right? I mean, some of my customers, oh, I like it, but you're not quite there. So I got to go back, right? And, you know, kind of revamp things. That's just the nature of being an artist. You've got to have thick skin because when you put your stuff out there, you're opening yourself up to criticism. When we talked a few minutes about awareness. My ex-wife beat me up so bad for my failures. At a certain point, I had to look at them, look at what she was saying. Mm-hmm. And because I looked at it and accepted, I could improve upon it. So when people give me criticism, I'm I'm grateful. Maybe there's a point there. Let me go back and reassess. And that's how I've gotten better over the years. My critics have been my best friends, to be quite honest with you. I really love the way that you're talking and what you're saying, because I think I have a small sliver of people that really like my work, and I'm sure there's a, a bigger sliver of people that don't love my work. And, it, and and you just have to learn to kind of accept that and say, you know, I, fi- I know my tribe. I've got my tribe. And coming to a level of acceptance about that, yeah, you're not going to please everybody. And I think that's a really a good way to think about it and also... Like you said, you came back to your dream job. 
You know what I mean? This is not a make it for you. This is a, this is another accolade within your design career that has proven uh, that you are a real player. Yeah. What gives me value now is really not design. I can do that in my sleep. I've, I have a technique. I get an assignment. I marinate on that thing and I sleep on it. I wake up in two or three, four or five days a week and I get a vision and I wake up and I put it on paper and then I just massage it. That, it that's how it works now. What inspires me, I think today, what gets me up out of the bed is perhaps the reason for this podcast. There's so many creative people out there who just don't have the knowledge on how to develop themselves. And I get joy. I, I don't want you to suffer what I suffer. I suffered it so that someone else doesn't have to suffer it, right? Yeah, inspiration comes from something else. And in fact, I also have a deep passion for giving people a pathway to being an artist without feeling the intimidation and peeling back some of the weird veils that the art world and design world have put in front, which are, you're like, listen, this is how it goes. You work hard, you struggle, you make good stuff, eventually it gets recognized, stick it out, try to make a living, hustle, 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 learn, learn, learn. And then you get a call with a friggin' 10 page spread. That's how it works. That, that's how it works. Yeah, okay, you could be a rich kid and your parents know the editor of it, fine. But you want to know another path? Here's the path. That's it right there. What is the path if you don't have any money and you don't have any contacts? Right. What is that path? And you're right. You got to get yourself a little cheap raggedy gig to keep the lights on. You need to get yourself a little garage somewhere and you go in man, and you suffer the process of developing you. Right. Now, don't be me. Right. Don't, don't be me. You can't beat Paul at being Paul. <laughs> you can't do that. But I can't beat you at being at your expression. Figure out what it is and, and, and just get on the path of developing the strength to stand by your unique point of view. You're going to get a lot of critics. If that takes you off of being, you're in, that's when you're in real trouble. You have to develop the strength to stand by you and your convictions. That is the hardest thing throughout this process. Once you are confident, you will attract certain things. That finding wood, finding a tool, you can borrow a tool, you can, but do you have something unique to contribute, right? That's what's going to make you or break you. But if you're an also ran, you are going to be in deep trouble in this business because new people are coming in, old people are going out. It's full of, it's full of competitors, full of great, great work. You know what I'm saying? This is gospel, man. This is like, this is gospel for artists. This is what they should be listening to. This is exact, you're exactly right. And I feel like energized and inspired by what you're saying because I think it's right on. And it's, it, it very much mirrors a lot of the things that I have felt and my experience of being an artist and a business person. You know, so I think you're absolutely right, man. That's the path. And if you're strong and you're devoted to your, your passion, it will happen. There's no timeline. You know, you've just begun. You really have. I, do you know how many youngsters now I will be able to reach because I can say, see, Ellen has given me a degree of credibility. There's a lot of talkers out there, but you need endorsements. Now people will listen. Now I can have some impact. I think that is really my purpose. Furniture chose me, right? I didn't know what I was going to do in this, but it is the sort of business metaphor right here, right? We, we take a board and we cut this board and we hammer the board and we rub it with coarse sandpaper. And over this process, it comes out to be something beautiful. It's the same in human development. You know, you come out with a gift, but how are you going to get to the point where you're shining? You got to be cut 
you got to be nailed. You got to be hammered, right? Someone's going to rub you the wrong way. You, you know, you have to be willing to go through that. And that's what it takes for you to be crystal clear on the little niche that you occupy. That is what it's going to take. And that's easier said than done. You know, I pray a lot, man. I, I have, it was my reading of all these spiritual books in the early days. It, it, it works for me, but you got to find your spiritual well that you nourish from to feed that unseen part of you that's going to give you the strength to endure being hammered and nailed. You got to go through it. That's what makes you beautiful. The diamond, tense pressure. Man, that's so beautifully said, honestly. Uh, I think what you've discovered and what I'm slowly discovering is that once you reach self-awareness, you realize that life is more about the other than yourself. What you're doing now at this stage is you're saying, yeah, like I want to be able to mentor or do this, that. That is actually where true value and happiness comes from. It just takes a long time for us to get to that place. And some people don't ever arrive. But your struggle and your, your life story has led you to that self-awareness that now allows you to give back. And the world, the karma that starts to happen based on that will feed you forever. Your phone won't stop ringing. Your email will keep getting inquiries. And the people around you will 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 feel happy and will feel fulfilled by working for you and around you. So you, you give, you get. It is it's a very simple principle that is lost in our contemporary society. It's not about being closed fist and taking your knowledge and running off. And no, no, no you you're got right. To put yourself into that law, and the phone just keeps ringing. Opportunities keep coming. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Subscribe, follow, like write a review it really does help honestly if you're uh looking for more content get on instagram you can find us there you can find us on youtube at fms presents uh we're kind of everywhere spotify apple podcast wherever you get your podcast we'll be there all right talk to you soon <laughs>